Hi everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their work, the lessons they've learned, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is Janine Lee, founder and agent at Janine Lee Literary Agency. As an illustrator, querying an agent, asking them to represent you, can feel like a gauntlet of misery. As Janine and I discuss, something needs to be done about the querying process. Among other topics, Janine shares how she became a literary agent. She takes us behind the scenes to what editors are asking her about the illustrators she represents. And Janine provides advice for any illustrator who's struggling to find an agent. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Are you using headphones? And just whatever came with my uh, Google Pixel. I'm one of the few that doesn't use an iPhone, so. <laughs> nice. That's fully okay. I actually discovered my one of my old flip phones from the early 2000s as I was cleaning up our storage area. And I had a minute of like, why don't I just use this? <laughs> and I kind of still feel like I didn't throw it away. I still have it. And, and uh-huh. it's awesome. Anyway. I have I have been thinking about it like uh, it's just a phone. It's just a phone. Yeah, I think all my old ones like that broke. I think the reality is I mean it sounds nice but the reality is I'm not going to let go of my iPhone. I'm too connected mm. to it for better and worse. So you graduated from Bucknell. So did my nephew, Logan, but he didn't earn an English degree with honors like you. What led you to studying English? What was the game plan back then anyway? Um, I think originally I thought I would be a writer um, and they had a creative writing program and I like that the English department let you switch back and forth. So I was actually in the creative writing track, but I took a lot of English literature courses and ended up doing my um, thesis in the literature department. So they were pretty flexible and let you study whatever you know you want. At what point did you realize like, wait a minute, maybe I can't just be a writer. Maybe there's something else I have to do. Was it right around graduation? <laughs> a little before that. Okay. I found that even though I wanted to write, it kind of came more naturally for me to be giving other people feedback, which is something that came out of the workshops. Um, and then I also took a course um, to work at the writing center. Mm-hmm. And I really liked helping other people figure out what they wanted to say yep. more than always sitting down and making myself think because I would sometimes, you know, have trouble doing that right. when, you know, it's an assignment and I'm pressured to write something. Yeah, I, kind of the same a little bit, you know, like I wanted to be an illustrator, not a writer. I got a job in publishing right mm-hmm. after graduation. And then just like you, I sort of discovered that I had so much more fun telling other people how to what to draw mm-hmm. than drawing it myself. I think the big question became for me, I think I, w- I would say within a couple of years, I kind of was thinking about, okay, I need to get a real job that'll <laughs> pay a salary <laughs> and maybe I'll write on the side, which right. never happened. But, right, um, but the question became, because I really liked the academic atmosphere, whether mm-hmm. I wanted to be an English prof or maybe go into publishing. Mm -hmm. So I looked into 
uh, the NYU Summer Publishing Program, and I thought that would be a good way to try it out um, because I was I was from you know a smaller town. I never lived in New York City and made those connections that once I started applying for publishing jobs, I kind of found out like, oh, well, you have to have those connections already. So that led me in that direction. My guess is, and I was looking for it as I was doing research for you, but I couldn't find it. My guess is if you went to Bucknell and just judging by your Instagram, you're into nature. uh, Yeah. I see like lots of walks in the woods and whatnot. And I'm, I live in Pennsylvania. So there's like, there's a Pennsylvanian vibe to some of your Uh, photographs. So my guess is you live in Pennsylvania. I don't anymore. Um, You're from so I grew Pennsylvania. up in, in Bucks County, if you yeah, know with that. Yeah, of course I know Bucks um, County. I'm in Chester County. Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of grew up in the woods. Nice. <laughs> like my, my parents had a, a woods in the backyard, and I spent yep. a lot of time up there. Same. And then, yeah, I went to Bucknell, riding my bikes out there with the horses and buggies. Mm-hmm. I actually did enjoy living in the city, but eventually we moved up to Westchester County. So that's where I am now. How are you supporting yourself in those early years? Because as you know, there are financial constraints. It's not like you're making a ton of money, especially early. Um, So were you able to support yourself primarily from that? Or did you have to do other things? When I did my internship, it was unpaid, which was a little dicey. (laughs) My parents helped me. I, I lived in Jersey. So it was the cheapest place I could live. And I did that for about six months while I was job searching simultaneously. Um, And then eventually I had to say, like, I need to job search full time because (laughs) this isn't cutting it. So I did that and pretty quickly um, found a job. One of the benefits of working for a well-established agency is that they were salaried. Mm -hmm. Being publishing, it's a modest salary, but it was enough that I could live on it, you know, with roommates and stuff like that. Gotcha. Before venturing into the world of running your own agency, you were an agent and foreign rights manager at Sheldon Fogelman Agency. For people who don't or who aren't familiar with that name, I mean, Sheldon Fogelman Agency has been around since before I was born. I think that agency formed in the mid-70s. Yeah. And they represent, I mean, you may not recognize the agency, dear listener, but you would definitely recognize names like Jerry Pinkney and Peggy Rathman. And mm-hmm. there are plenty of other elite children's book creators over the years. So, I mean, if you're going to learn the ropes, looking from the outside in, I mean, maybe it was hell, you tell me, but that's where I would want to learn from a place like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, w- it was, I definitely appreciate all that I learned there. Um, so, but. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Shel- Shelley, what he goes by, Sheldon Fogelman, he was one of the first children's agents. He started as an attorney, um, mm-hmm. and one of his early clients was Marie Sendak, um, who Heard is handling um, <laughs> some, some you know, issues with publishers for him. Um, and that kind of led to more <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, names mm-hmm. that you might have heard of, like Arnold Lobel, mm-hmm. James Marshall, oh my God. Stephen Kellogg. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, see what I'm saying? I mean, that's that sounds as if, again, looking at, from the outside in, I'm sure on the inside, it's not as 
dreamy. Maybe it is, but it that's definitely the place I would want to go to learn. Yeah, I mean, it's a job, but it's definitely, yeah. <laughs> it taught me a lot. Definitely, like, there were a lot of heavy hitters. It, right. it set a, a bar high, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and when I was first taking on clients, I would have to, you know, get them, them through editorial and, and they're being compared to all of these other greats. And then in February of 2022, you launched Janine Lee Literary Agency. I did. What led you to forming your own agency? It was a number of things, but in that 12 years that I was there, I met my husband, I had two children, and I, my, I grew my list very, very gradually. Mm-hmm. And so I think as my list grew and, you know, I kind of went through the pandemic with two young kids at home. <laughs> I wanted a little bit more flexibility to just go do my own thing and mm-hmm. focus on my clients and build something of my own. Yeah. It's been a little bit now, right? It's been more than a year. Um, yeah, almost two. Almost two. What would you say is currently your greatest challenge? That's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'll I ask guess, easier ones later. I have I to. I I have to say, like, part of what's what's for a long time been the challenge is is juggling everything <laughs> for for yeah. agents because um, you know the more clients you take on, the more you can sell, but you can't take on too many because um, you want to give each one enough attention, and right. um, you need to be editing and submitting and. When you're forming a new agency, every contract is new. So I'm getting to a place where, you know, that is tapering off. But for a while, I was working on boilerplate contracts with each publisher that I did to deal with. The Illustration Department's holiday sale is here. From November 23rd through November 26th, all offerings led by me are 20% off. That includes the popular mentorships, workshops, and portfolio reviews. To take advantage of this rare sale, visit illustrationdept.com slash classes from November 23rd through November 26th. That's illustrationdept.com slash classes. And now, back to our conversation. Speaking of publishers, the chatter on social media is, on at the moment, sort of is suggesting that things are difficult right now in publishing. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not disagreeing with it. That's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. The thing I can't quite figure is if things are really slow and some people are going so far as to say like it's bad. There's a too much of a bottleneck going on in terms of how many books people are publishing. Now that we're sort of quote post-pandemic, People are buying fewer books and it was great during the pandemic, but now it's not. And so there's like a lot of things people are saying and reasons they're providing for, quote, why publishing is bad at the moment. At the same time, though, I see agents and agencies, yours included and you included, who are continually adding clients to their lists. Mm-hmm. If I were running an agency... And if publishing was indeed bad, 
I would, as a sensible business owner, not expand. And yet I see tons of agencies still expanding. So what's the deal? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Are they right? Are they wrong? Is it in the middle? What's going on? There's there's a lot of ways I could go with this question. But when I started, it was right after like the whole financial crisis. I graduated in 09. Um, (laughs) So all the publishers were on hiring freezes. And I did interview with some, but it was really, really hard to get a foot in the door. And that's why I started with an unpaid internship, um, which, you know, in better times, I might not have mm-hmm. tried that, but I just was so desperate to get in. <laughs> yep. And I learned a ton. I mean, I, and I had fantastic mentors there as well. Um, so I don't regret that. And it, and it led directly to, to my job because, you know, those agents were connected mm-hmm. um, with Shelly. But it, it was a difficult times then as well. I feel like in terms of the world, we're living through another unprecedentedly bad time and that does carry over into publishing Mm -hmm. and as an agent so i do worry about colleagues in publishing Mm -hmm. um being overworked you know every time i send a new project out i'm putting more on an editor's plate (laughs) so to speak right so that that is a concern for me but personally i'm uh selling more than I ever have, which is partly just because I'm establishing myself and my clients are establishing our, them, themselves. Right. But I don't think it's total doomsday because we're still selling things. Yeah. I, I can say the, you know, the clients, I think I took three new clients last year and I've sold at least one project for all of them. That's where I'm sitting. Even though I'm, I don't work in publishing anymore. That's what I'm hearing uh, from people I talk to just, through the podcast, friends of mine who I keep in touch with, I text and every time I hear someone say to me like, oh my God, I, I heard that publishing is like crashing and burning right now. I'm like, oh my God, really? Is that right? So then I end up, <laughs> I just go right to my phone, text all my friends and be like, hey, what's going on over there? What's going on over there? What's going on over there? And it's, it's the answer is always, oh gosh, Giuseppe, we're so busy right now. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Like that's what I hear, which is not that's great, yeah. but it's not the doom, <laughs> doom and gloom like it, like I'm seeing on the on the uh, on the wonderful social medias. So anyway, you you continue a, a streak, unbroken streak of people who actually work in publishing, who say that it's it's not the best, but it's definitely not crashing and burning like some people say. Yeah, kids still need books, and there you go. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in adult books, but <laughs> kids, <laughs> kids will always read books. You did recently reach out through social media. It was a call for submissions. When illustrators and writers reach out to you to request representation, what do you often mm-hmm. see in their requests as mistakes? I think the biggest. Or, or most common mistake with illustrators. And I think I was a little bit more open this time because when I started off, I was primarily looking for author illustrators. And that's still like the majority of my illustration clients are, are author illustrators. But do you um, also just time, represent illustrators who don't write? I would say actually not yet, but it's something that I'm open to. Um, and I have some that I'm should, looking Janine, at. You definitely should do that. <laughs> There's lots um, of money on the table if you do that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so some of the people who are 
illustrator only, which, you know, I was more open this time to, to mm-hmm. hear from those people. Some of them will just send a portfolio link and they don't include a cover letter, which I think is missing out on an opportunity to build connection. Um, okay. As an attachment so, or just as just like in the email? So I have a query manager form, so it has a place for your cover letter. And, you know, I understand that a lot of querying advice is like focused on somebody who's pitching a manuscript. But I think that um, if you don't say anything as an illustrator, like I'm still going to look at your portfolio and I'm not going to judge you for it, but you're kind of um, losing out on real estate where you could um, make an impression. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me, you know, who you are, what's your background, what led you to want to work in in children's books and right. what's your style there i mean there are a lot of different things you can touch on where do you live and mm-hmm. what are your goals or things right. like that have you um done any courses or joined a critique group or something to show right. that you're you're really interested in this so but okay so are, your is your preference uh for people who's who want to submit to you um, is your preference what am I trying to ask hold on let me get the sentence in my brain do you prefer that people use query manager uh, exclusively or is it okay if they email you directly I did switch over to um, to query manager exclusively uh, because right now um, I mean I, I'm not the only agent saying this I see everybody saying this that the volume when you open to submissions the volume is so high Mm -hmm. and there are some advantages to to query manager that i can respond yes or no with like i can tap two buttons instead of having to type out a a response Mm. i know and I, i get it i do get it i mean i get a ton of emails in my inbox that aren't related to the id or anything and it's just like delete 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 this isn't for me and, and like it clogs the it clogs the machine up and i totally understand that since you also have responsibility to the illustrators you are currently representing and writers however query manager is not perfect it's far from it one of the things i hear often from illustrators is like i can't really you know what is the lim- what is the me- the megabyte limit for attachments it's it's minimal um, it so is. there's it there's is. challenges for illustrators. Like Query Manager is designed or was designed, and I'd love to get the people who in- created it on the podcast to talk to them about this. But it was designed for writers. It was not designed for mm-hmm. illustrators. And I understand that, but but so that goes to one of the other tips I would give for submitting is like if you build your own website and then you put that link Mm -hmm. that you can have a lot more samples than you would be able to attach also having a social media presence and having both if you can Mm -hmm. and and putting those links there so i can see more you know because it does clog things up to have be getting large attachments in email Um, and i've had similar concerns with email where like somebody might think that they sent a large attachment and then my my email just aided or something you know um so nothing is a perfect system yeah i know as this query manager anytime query manager comes up in conversation with illustrators it's never good and if i can speak on behalf of from some frustrated illustrators they are required to jump through a lot of hoops 
And this isn't a critique on you or your agency, or it's just sort of like, this is what the illustration, this is what illustrators have been telling me. They do have to jump through a lot of hoops to get the attention of an agent. um, I have seen, yeah, go ahead. I have seen some other people's query manager pages and, and I understand. (laughs) Um, It's a lot. Frustration at the hoops that they're jumping through. I tried to keep mine as simple, like, only put the required boxes. Uh, bless you, Janine. So you're just putting your, your name, yes. you know, email, that kind of thing. And then you can paste in the cover letter all at one, not breaking it up. Like I know some people make you put things in separate, cutting and pasting, putting things in separate boxes to make it easier for them. But like, I know how to read a cover letter. It's just, you know, that this is a platform that makes it a little bit easier for me to contain yeah. everything and respond to them in a timely manner. That's great. And that's why you're on the podcast and they're not. So there you have it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure you've, you've heard this before and I think you know where I'm going with this. But, you know, they, illustrators jump, do, do jump through a ton of hoops, whether it's simple, a simplified platform or not. It's, it's a lot that they have to do. And often the amount of time and work, because it is work that they are required to put in to a submission, often gets radio silence absolute zero and I, I you know i've talked about this on the podcast in the past with other agents um so again it's not i'm not like oh i'm gonna get janine on the podcast and you know ambush her with this question but that part of the system generally i mean i know this you can't speak for all agents and and i get that i get that but that part of the system is absolutely broken i agree so basically i i think most agents fall into one of two categories. They're either open to submissions all the time. Mm-hmm. They can't keep up with responding to everything. So when I was at Sheldon Fogelman, that was our policy. We were always open mm-hmm. to submissions. Um, and we responded if we were interested. So that didn't necessarily mean that we were making an offer, but we might like um, ask for a revision or we might run and say, hey, I, I like this. It's not quite there, but try me again. Those types of responses. Right. Now that I'm on my own, I felt that it wasn't necessarily worthwhile for me to be open all the time because part of what I'm trying to do is be able to better manage my time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be open when I'm actually able to take people on because if I see something great, but I just don't have the time, then it doesn't benefit me or them. Right. Um, Even if you love it, even if it's the next James Marshall, there's just nothing you can do about it because you're just too busy. So I switched, so I'm only open, you know, during announced periods, which so far has only been like a, a few weeks a year. Got it. But I did change my policy that I will respond to everybody because I understand. I mean, it's happened to me as an agent that sometimes editors never get back to you or they right. say they'll get back to you and then they never do. So I wanted to yeah. change that. That's good to hear. And I, tr- and I absolutely get it, man. I get it. Like, I, I'm not innocent of this i there as an art director there were tons of emails i never responded to from illustrators who said hey Mm -hmm. i'd love to work with you and and i just didn't have it i just couldn't you know if i folded that into my day-to-day i would never have been able to manage the design team or design any of my books or literally do anything else because it was just too much and even now you know there are emails that you know i should be reaching i should be responding to um in a more timely manner that I just don't, again, because, you know, 
I'm human and I'm not great at responding right away. But when you hear from illustrators like daily, I mean, there's one illustrator I'm working with right now. She reached out to an agent and the agent wrote, wrote back. I think the agent wrote back or her assistant wrote back and said, this is interesting. We'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. And then the illustrator was patiently waiting. And meanwhile, like life is happening and the world is happening and there's all this other stuff happening. And after like some time, which was a long time, they ended up coming back and saying, actually, never mind. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you make these changes and these changes and do this work and do this thing for free and do this other thing and this other hoop, uh, submit to us later. And we'll, and we'll, you know, look at it again, which is like, I, I get that. That's sort of like the way it works. But again, it's, it's, it, it's disheartening to say the very least, you know, and this, this illustrator is taking a break now. Like it was, too, mm-hmm. that was too much of a hit. So mm-hmm. she's going to take a quick break, focus on what she enjoys about being an illustrator because the process of submitting to agents does take a toll on illustrators Mm -hmm. and in some cases like sort of like disconnects them from from what they love about being an illustrator because it's so hard mentally you know and physically and emotionally and all that yeah i mean i i understand that's really frustrating but i do think like that person should take it as a sign that you know there's something there and maybe another agent will will connect with it definitely oh for sure anytime i tell illustrators this all the time like anytime you get a good response that's a sign that you're onto something so right it sucks yeah we, that it's we not don't... like the perfect re- response but it's something to hang your hat on for sure right like we we don't make up that we're interested but sometimes you know i i know like when i went through um a submissions period recently like I requested a lot more than I can actually take on. So some of those things that I'm going to have to pass on, it's, you know, it's just a matter of me. It's not that yeah. anything's wrong with them and, and that, you know, mm-hmm. most of those people will find another agent um, because it's, it's, the quality is there. Right. If you find value in this podcast, please consider supporting it as a patron. Your support will help me keep the podcast on its weekly schedule. Patrons receive perks including a reusable 10% off discount code, access to dozens of patron-only episodes, opportunities to provide questions for guests, a soft enamel pin with our logo designed by me, and more. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. And now, back to our conversation. One of the most common realizations that illustrators have who have signed with agents and they realize this way later than they should is that the agent isn't their primary assistant like the agent isn't focused entirely on that one illustrator and no one else and that the agent isn't doing marketing on behalf of that particular illustrator only Mm-hmm. And in some cases, the agent isn't doing any marketing at all. Like their marketing is simply just, you know, people visiting their website. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe the most common 
experience, like that surprise later after you agree, after you sign a contract, that the agent isn't doing as much on the marketing side as you assumed. So what do you do? How do you keep your contacts informed of like what your clients are doing, whether it's with illustration or writing? So I think with an illustrator, which is different than working with writers, that the illustrator should continue to market themselves. Agreed. They should have a website. They should have a social media presence mm -hmm. that they update regularly. Mm -hmm. That is marketing for them. Editors and art directors do look at those things. But I think your agent should also be a partner. They should be including you in um, at least their website. Also, um, you know, a lot of the marketing for me, um, because I said so far I'm mostly working with author illustrators, a lot of the marketing is you know, putting a dummy together and sending it out to editors. Right. So hopefully you sell it. But even if you don't sell it in that process, editors and their teams are seeing your work and might might bring a manuscript to us for you to illustrate at another time, which right. has also happened. And then if you're an illustrator only, your agent should also be um, reaching out to art directors because they might not have a book to pitch, but they can still get your work, you know, directly in front right. of the people that are going to make those decisions. It sounds as if you're cool with illustrators that you represent reaching out on their own to art directors while you are also doing that. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I don't think it's something they typically do. Your illustrators? More of putting things, yeah, I think more, more they're putting things on social media. They're going to conferences where they might get to meet people, hmm. that kind of thing. Well, they should. I think emailing is the way to... You know, well, I'll tell them you said so. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely should. That is like, they're leaving a ton on the table if they're not doing that. Because there's some, um, you may be aware of this too, but there are some agents who prohibit the illustrators they represent from reaching out to potential clients. Because they want to control it all, I guess. Oh, no, that's not something I've done. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me, so... You mentioned social media a few times. Mm -hmm. How important is it for an illustrator and a writer to uh, have a social media presence, in your opinion? I think it's especially important for illustrators because, I hate to say, but it's like kind of out of sight, out of mind. But if you're regularly popping up, mm -hmm. you're building followers who are potential readers you're building possibly editors and and art directors following you or seeing you know there are certain hashtags that you can use that um those people are definitely following right. you know just just having a website if if it, you know i think social media is a way to kind of draw people to it have you ever had anyone in publishing editor art director whoever reach out to you and say, we're looking for an illustrator for X, Y, and Z project. And it would be great if they had a huge social media presence. No, never. <laughs> How about in writing? No, I don't think the numbers matter so much as that you're there and they can come across you and, and see your work. I don't take it into consideration. And I don't think, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think most editors take it into consideration because they should be marketing the books. Um, they're helping you preach. They're they're helping you reach the audience. Agreed. But you know, it's just a way to 
put your work out there and yep. <laughs> this is what I'm doing and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's uh social media in small increments actually can be really helpful and good. And Yeah, like not every day, you know, exactly. put, post something once a week or or even every other week and Janine, that's yeah, why I tell illustrators. Yeah, I totally agree <laughs> with you. What are you looking for in an illustrator's portfolio? What's the what is that one ma- I mean, I know there are multiple things you're probably looking for, but what's like the big gosh, I hope I see this in this person's portfolio. For me, like with both writing and illustrating, like I want to feel an emotional connection. So some of the things that I look for, like expressive characters and mm. are they inviting and um, does it look like a polished professional quality work? Do you hear from publishing professionals, editors, art directors? Uh, do they come to you and say, we're looking for this type of art for this season? Do they come to you with stylistic requests or do they just come mm. to you and say, we're looking for an illustrator for this story? Generally, when when people have approached me, they have an illustrator in mind that they say, like, we have this project and would so-and-so be interested in it, right. you know? Exactly. We have a target date of, of you know, mm-hmm. the state and would they be available and interested? Um, and then they'll send the manuscript. You mm-hmm. know, maybe if I was a bigger agent, they'd be coming to me <laughs> someday. <laughs> they'll come send to me with you're a on your way, generic Janine. request. But. Trust me, you're, you're absolutely on your way there. I think there's a myth floating around that publishers are looking for like a specific style nowadays. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how this was true five years ago and five years before that and five years before that. So it's always like publishers are looking for this thing now. And the thing now that people are saying publishers are looking for is cutesy characters, bright colors, texture, a little bit of texture. So like it all, everybody's like that kind of mid-century kind of look like everyone's looking Mm. for that now and i say well how do you know that well that's what i when i go to the bookstore that's what i see now (laughs) thank you that's all you needed to do is laugh and that's that's the answer i was looking for i mean isn't that silly or am i wrong is that what people are looking for i have not noticed that (laughs) Uh, of course you have i would say just you know be authentic i'm looking for people that you know that are that are authentic exactly like of course you haven't it's Have never your, been your there. own style and, right exactly you know. i mean for people listening yeah. <laughs> it's never been that way it's never been that way it's not even it's not even like season to season or a publishing house to publishing house it's book to book mm-hmm. it's editor to editor and everyone wants their book to stand out so why would they all exactly want to look the same? thank you janine I hope I hope people listen and and have this fully cemented in their brains moving forward and spread the word. It's a myth. This mm-hmm. whole stylistic like oh these days publishers are looking for digital art. Bullcrap. They're just looking for good art, man. And if it fits their mm-hmm. book, it fits the book. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right? Am I wrong? Tell me if I'm wrong. Please tell me I'm wrong. No, I agree with you. Thank you. What would be if you could share just one piece of advice uh, for illustrators and writers, what would be that one piece of advice that you would share directly from you to them? Don't give up. Um, you know, we were you were talking about that that one illustrator who got close with an agent and, and 
and was, you know, needing to take some time. And that's fine. Sometimes we do have those periods where we need to decompress and refocus. But, um, you know, take those those things as a sign that you're on the right track. And as an agent, we have, you know, we have struggles too. Like when I was starting out, there were clients that I would offer to and they would go with somebody else who was more experienced or, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that can still happen. Or um, I might ask for a revision and then they never came up. They got scooped by somebody else or mm-hmm. or it was shot down by colleagues and but then I would see those books on the shelf and I I would you know I could have got all depressed that I didn't get to work on that but I would literally keep a list of them like books I liked that sold and and be like look I have good taste mm-hmm. so I think having that kind of mentality can help you stick it out because you know it's a slow industry um, it takes a while to establish yourself and yeah just just stick at it to learn more about janine and her agency visit janinelee.com this podcast is produced by the illustration department a global leader in online education for illustrators visit illustrationdept.com for class offerings like mentorships and portfolio reviews testimonials the alumni showcase the podcast show notes our forum our merchandise, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.